This week, after two beers, it's Stephen Hale. As long as you focus, and people get tired of hearing this, but it couldn't be truer, focus on the quality. If you don't have the quality, if you don't have trained brewers and quality equipment, and you could, I've tasted some amazing beer from what you might think is sketchy equipment, and the brewers just pull it off. The, the shiniest, best equipment in the world, that's not going to make the beer for you. You need the materials and the human resources to do it right. Here are a full conversation after this. After Two Beers is brought to you by Guinness, brewers of the world's most famous pub beers for over 200 years, and by All About Beer magazine. Explore the culture of beer through award-winning news, reviews, education, and insights. Print and digital subscriptions are available by visiting allaboutbeer.com. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest beer news and to connect with fellow enthusiasts. This is John Hall, the editor of All About Beer magazine. In more than a decade writing about the beer industry, I've found that the conversation really gets interesting after everyone had a few beers, and thus this podcast was born. On each episode, I sit down with our guest, and we don't start recording until after we've had two beers. This show is about insightful answers to hopefully interesting questions. Recently, I sat down with Stephen Hale, the founding brewer at Shaffley in St. Louis. These days, he spends part of his time out of the brew house talking up the news of the brewery. An industry veteran, we got together at the Blind Tiger Alehouse in New York City, where we both started off drinking Kolsch from Alphabet City Brewing Company. As we record these intros separately from the main conversation, Stephen takes a minute to reintroduce himself a few minutes in. But, given his time in the industry, I started off by asking him the style of beer that he thinks doesn't get the respect it deserves in this day and age. I would put several beers into that category and say a lot of classics. I think it's really easy and a great idea to open a brewery with some innovative beers, some new styles, and I think that's important. But I think ignoring the classics is a mistake, and I think it's not just because people want to drink it, it's because the beers are good. So when we got to the bar here, I, uh, I was looking on the list for something. I mentioned Fuller's uh, Ale, Fuller's London Pride or yeah, something. Yeah, it's a great and beer. And I like classic beer styles a lot. I don't always go on record and say that I'm not a hophead because there's not a beer that I wouldn't <laughs> taste once, and I'll, I'll drink a pint of just about everything. Right. I may not drink a second or third. Does your skin start to tingle or boil when you say something like that, being in the industry, that you're not a hophead? Oh, no, not at all, because I find, <laughs> I, I find more and more that I have company. And again, I like the beers, yeah. but it's... To me, it's important to recognize the classics, and we're seeing that happen now with a lot of breweries adding and, and promoting more and more classic Pilsner examples. I'm drinking a Kolsch right now. You're drinking a Pilsner. Yeah. Um, the Schlafly Beard is soon to go on tap here and has been in the past many times, but uh, I always like to try other breweries' beers as well. So for me, a classic English pale ale, a classic Bohemian-style Pilsner, there are others. I don't mean to exclude the others. Right. But but I, I guess the question is, and, and this is something that I'm sort of passionate about as well, of we have lost out on some of the classics, and while some of them are coming back, even just a traditional Scottish ale, um, American brewers can't seem to resist the temptation to tinker with it. Uh, you know, staying with just a base recipe. You know, I'll walk into a brewery these days and they'll say, you know, try our peanut butter and jelly porter on aged in mint leaves. And it's like, that's cool. Do you have, like, your base porter? So, oh, we don't make a base porter. It's like, well, 
why not? I would say thanks. I'm not hungry. Right. <laughs> but I mean, when when you say that you 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 miss a lot of the classic styles, it's just because the, the base styles exist, but they're not there in their classic form. Some are. The Kolsch I'm drinking right now yeah. seems like a very good example of it. And I think we've come back. I think brewers have recognized that there is a need to get back to that. Um, so. Yes, you can find flavors in a Kolsch too, and it actually some breweries have found that the flavored edition cucumber Kolsch, whatever it was, is more popular than the than the base one. So yeah. for that brewery, that works. For us, for Schlafly Beer in St. Louis, that doesn't work. We like to recognize the classic sales. We'll do. We have a watermelon lager coming out as uh, part of a seasonal four pack uh, this uh, later this year. Uh, so we'll do those beers certainly. We have about 70 different beers in our portfolio. That's amazing. So, again, many are classics. The oatmeal stout, the pale ale, the Kolsch. Um, should I say that I'm Stephen Hale from New England? No, I've already point? done that. Okay. But, uh, yeah. I was going to tell you, the, explain the New England part. but Well, no, explain the New England part. Born in Massachusetts, yeah. boarding school in Connecticut, shared family house in Maine, grandmother's house in New Hampshire, all my siblings went to school in Rhode Island and a ton of cousins in Vermont. So when I'm in St. Louis, it's pretty easy to say New England. Yes. But I have made home in St. Louis for almost 26 years. And uh, it's a thrill to come back to New York to visit and uh, work here in the market with Blakely and our uh, other team here. And to see you, John, of course. Well, I certainly appreciate that. Um, you, you mentioned Kolsch, and one of the beers that, that, that you guys make is, is, is a Kolsch. And I... Another thing that sort of irks me sometimes is when we're talking about classic styles is there are very specific ingredients that go into classic styles. And sometimes, or not all brewers have access to all ingredients or authentic ingredients or uh, ingredients from the place where they're intended to come. Uh, when it comes to your guys' Kolsch, actually, though, um, the yeast comes from Cologne. Yes, I think the only way to make that beer even more authentic is to open a brewery in Cologne. Then you can call it a true Kolsch. For everybody else in this country, yeah. it has to, by law, say Kolsch style or Kolsch type or something. Uh, the yeast uh, comes directly from the Geffel Brewery. Uh, Heinrich Becker, um, may cool. he rest in peace. Yeah. Very sad. We'll drink a little yeah. toast to Heinrich here. Very sad news the other week. But the yeast comes from his brewery in Cologne, which makes a huge difference. The connection is a fun short story. Tom Schlafly, co-founder of Schlafly Beer, met Ulrika Kerst from Cologne. She introduced him to Heinrich. They got to talking, probably over a few beers now and then. <laughs> and they made arrangements for us to get a keg of yeast to brew our Kolsch. Several years later, it resulted in a uh, gold medal at the World Beer Cup, That's pretty cool. uh, which is great. Ahead of... The, uh, as I recall, the silver and the bronze were from Germany. That happens. How, how huge a difference does it make to have that yeast coming from where the yeast comes, uh, where it came from? I mean, I you said it, it's a huge difference, but I mean, how? I'm sure there's brewers who are listening, maybe, uh, and um, uh, they're going to say, "No, our yeast is, is just as fine." I think it probably can be. Okay. I'm not saying that ours is the only way that you have to do it. I like to feel that it adds a touch of authenticity by using a Kölsch yeast strain uh, directly from Cologne. But the uh, yeast labs have developed fabulous uh, different strains of yeast that approximate what that is. They might have even gotten it from a brewery in Cologne and are marketing it here. So the yeast could actually be identical to it. But we know we have... For us, it's also telling the story of the personal, personal connection with... 
Heinrich Becker's brewery, Geffel. So that adds a lot to it. Does it make the beer actually better? You kind of have to let the beer drinkers and judges decide that. So this example I'm having is great. Uh, if you told me that it uses a California ale strain or something, yeah. would I change my tune on it? I'm pretty forthright when it comes to things, and I'd say, still tastes like a good beer. Okay. If you told me it came from a different uh, brewery in Cologne, I'd say, yippee, that's a great way to do it. Can I taste it? Me? Um, I don't know how many thousands of yeast strains are out there in the yeah, world. Quite a few. Yeah. Yeah. One of the... That sort of is a good segue, just simply because uh, it is this innovation that exists in the industry right now, uh, and and there's a lot of it where brewers they're not as held to tradition as they as they used to have to be. Even even back in or even over in Germany, uh, they're not as held by tradition as uh, as they used to be, and that's sort of thanks to consumers uh, that are out there and brewers sort of being uh, you know free and and, and unleashed. Um, innovation is something that you've. Uh, uh, talk to me about in the past. Um, where do you feel we are in the world of innovation right now with beer? I think it's still exploding, and I think it's really important for brewers to do it, including us at Schlafly. I think you, as a brewer, have to do it because the buying public wants it. But what we're, what we're also seeing uh, is things coming full circle to uh, continuing to pay attention to the classic styles we mentioned earlier. So. Innovation should never end. Putting all your apples in one cart of extreme, double, imperial, excess, whatever it is, if that works for you and your barrel age sales, that's great. I as, a, I, as a beer drinker, you know my slant on classic beers. Again, I'll taste one of almost everything, uh, but I think, the, uh, I think it would be sad if innovation were disallowed or, or disappeared, and uh, therefore I don't think it's going to at all. Uh, you mentioned the peanut butter and jelly pour, whatever yeah. it is. Those kind of ingredients are always going to uh, be used. And, and, and I mean, by those kind, I mean, like, there is no limit. We have not, if we think we've seen all, in, all ingredients used in beer yet, just wait. You're going to see something else. <laughs> and guess what? A lot of them might not work, but some will. It's kind of like throw ideas up against the wall. Which one sticks? sticks? Yeah. And if it works, great. If it works for your brewery. To make a an unusual beer with unusual ingredients, fabulous. But I think the I think there's no danger in the classics going away. And if that's all you make too, there are breweries that uh, live and die by one style of beer. Yeah, that's great. It works for them. And oftentimes in my uh, 22 years of production and operations at Schlafly, I have uh, felt some somewhat wistful of working in a brewery that produces draft only unfiltered beer of one type that doesn't use crazy expensive ingredients and is complicated to make. Uh, that might get a little boring after time, but if it pays the bills and people love it, keep on doing it. You mentioned that uh, the European community, the Germans are yeah. innovating. Slowly, they are, but they are still pretty true to their beer styles. I feel very lucky that after 25 years at Schlafly, um, we worked out a little deal to go to Germany for a trip later this year. So I will be visiting uh, Geffel Brewery in Kelowna. I've been to Europe several times. I haven't been to Geffel before. Very excited about that and uh, exploring some of the innovation that takes place there. But I've said for many years, the best country on the planet to drink beer, no offense to any other country, but it's got to be the United States because of the massive amounts of innovation 
and for many breweries holding true to traditional styles. Of course, I'll be you very happy. You couldn't have happy. said that 22 years, though, when you first started as a brewer, that the U.S. was the best beer drinking country. Uh, in terms of exploring, okay, maybe it was 21 years ago. Okay. Okay, no, but more than half our time ago, so more than 12, 15 years ago, right. it was become, perhaps it was the path that the United States was taking in uh, the exploration brewers were doing. And you could still find classic examples. Sometimes it's hard to find the classic examples of certain beer styles, but... Uh, I think breweries are doing a better job of it now. So, no, 30 years ago, go to Belgium, go to Germany, go to England. You right. got your classics there. So, But it's changed, and it's changed so dramatically uh, as well that I, I do wonder sometimes if, and you sort of said this before, but if, if we haven't really fully figured out what we want to be as a beer country just yet. You know, we are still in that phase of throwing everything against the wall, or brewers are at least, and consumers are, are trying to figure out um, what they want uh, in, a, in, a, in a beer as well. It's partly the uh, American can-do attitude of we can and we're going to do it all. Sure. Which I think is, I think it's a great attitude to have, but as long as you focus, and people get tired of hearing this, but it couldn't be truer, focus on the quality. If you don't have the quality, if you don't have trained brewers and quality equipment, and you could, I've tasted some amazing beer from what you might think is sketchy equipment, and the brewers just pull it off. The, the shiniest, best equipment in the world, that's not going to make the beer for you. You need the materials and the human resources to do it right, which I think we've invested a lot in at Schlafly. And, and so much of it also just comes with changing recipes over time. Uh, I, I've talked to with, uh, large brewers, small brewers, that, that recipes do slowly evolve as new ingredients become available or new technologies become available. Having not been to Gaffold before, having not been to Cologne before, uh, do you think that your Kolsch could change after coming back? Do you think that you could, you could learn things to try to make it even more authentic, more... I know you don't want to make a clone of Kolsch, but... Uh, you want to brew the best Kolsch that we can. Right. My guess is I might have a really hard time putting it into a shaker pint. I might have to use the uh, the, stange. the stange, yeah. yeah, and serve. There's a uh, we have, there's an account that serves a lot of Schlafly beer in Chicago, and they use the the tray is called the Kranz, I think. Uh, yes, it's the big tray that holds 11 or so Kolsch glasses, and it is an experience. So I think I'm probably more excited about that than any part of the upcoming trip of going to Gaffel other breweries in Cologne and trying and trying uh, beers out of the traditional glass. Maybe I'll bring a Schlafly shaker pint and dare them to pour a Kolsch into a shaker pint. Boy, that I is just, that <laughs> is the ugly American tourist stereotype right there of, thanks, I brought my own glass yeah. and it's a shaker pint. Sure, I'm not going to do that. I travel pretty lightly. <laughs> um, What do you think we need more of in this industry right now? From wow, from, from, a cons a from a consumer standpoint, what do you think consumers? What do you wish consumers knew more about to help better understand your product? That is a fabulous question. That's so why I'm we're here. so we're having both lunch and dinner here. Okay, this could take a uh, <laughs> a little while. I'm not sure which. Part of the answer I want to start with here, I picture a consumer who knows something about beer, and there are people who know less than that, and there's a handful, you know, it's kind of like going up the pyramid. Not that many know 
as much as you can know. The broad-based consumers know that there's beer and it comes in a pretty package. And I know that I, even I, as an experienced brewer and beer drinker, did I mention playing rugby a long time uh, ago? Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> the, the selection of packages and styles, bottles, cans, crowlers, draft, available in a store is pretty overwhelming. And I think stores that do a good job of breaking it out by category are helping consumers know that a lot better. So I think uh, both breweries, distributors, both breweries and distributors who um, can work together with the retailers to make a great, a great presentation of, of beers available to the general public. General public, and this is by no means demeaning at all, there's a whole lot of stuff I don't know. I think Thomas Jefferson was the last person in his time to know pretty much everything about everything. And we can't do that anymore. It's physically impossible. Um, maybe Wikipedia does. Uh -huh. Maybe our iPhones know everything. <laughs> but even then, I'd uh, accept it with a, uh, a grain of salt. Uh, it's, it's a little intimidating to choose what you're getting. So integrity from the brewers at labeling things properly, you know, calling a beer style by the proper beer style, making it legible. There are some beautiful fonts and crazy packaging out there. Sometimes I have a hard time reading it. Hell, I can't read most graffiti. I'm not, it takes me a long time to figure out those letters. So I think having a good presentation of what's available to people. Um, we have two locations in St. Louis. Yeah. I am, I, not only do I adore the tap room because I helped open it so long ago, but the beer signage we have says the name of the beer and we've we give fanciful names that's the TTB term we give fanciful names to some beers for the most part Schlafly beers are named after the style of what they are the beer boards we have throughout the building at the three different bars list that name as well as the ABV and the IBU and perhaps by the time I get back to St. Louis on Friday somebody will change the boards at the bottle works to show the ABV and the IBU as well it's something we're Somebody might be working on, but when I go into a place, as I mentioned earlier, I read from column B a lot. Right, and column I, uh, B being? ABV. Right. For me. It can throw, put the IBU up there or not. If it says IPA, I know it's going to be hopping. If it's a multi-beer style, I'll recognize that. But you'll so. start, I mean, and I do this quite a bit. We're out traveling around drinking quite a bit, and uh, we're recording this uh, early in the morning or late morning, as it were. Uh, it's a long day ahead. And so I was looking at ABV as well. And so I start in that column B, as you say, and then work left to see, yep. you know, oh, is that something I want to, I want to drink? So I think uh, both packages in the store and retail and on-premise consumption, I think it's really handy to know the... I don't care what uh, name a brewery gives to a beer. It can be an unpronounceable, even though I studied German, German word or whatever language it's in. It could be uh, the artist formerly known as beer. I mean, you could have a symbol for it. It doesn't matter. Sure. What's the general beer category? And, and I, I applaud brewers who don't put beers in categories. That's fine. But give me a little bit of guidance and definitely tell me the ABV. And when you don't have that information, I can't make a decision. And I'm an experienced brewer. I've been doing this since I was 19 years old. We don't, won't talk about how long ago that was. But is that enough to help somebody who has less than a little bit of knowledge about no, beer? Okay. But it, no, but it's a start. And I think descriptions you can give in beer menus and things, um, having the equivalent of a, I guess it's called a, uh, I prefer the Italian pronunciation for chicharone. Uh -huh. You can be a Cicerone, sommelier, whatever yes. term you want. 
experienced staff to guide people is important. The beer world has exploded in the past 35 years, and the general public might be so confused going into the store to buy something, and price doesn't seem to matter as much anymore. There can be some very expensive bottles and six packs and things, and that's fine. Uh, but going sort of middle of the road or something, a lot of people shop on price, what's on sale, the yellow tag at a uh, grocery chain in, uh, in St. Louis, like, hey, it's the economy, man. I'm going to buy, I still like, I mentioned rugby playing before, I still like to drink beer. If I'm going out to buy it, I might have to make a decision based on that. I want to try this local brewery's such and such beer. If it's way out of price range, I might not. And here in New York, a lot of stores, bodegas, sell beer by the bottle, so you don't have to commit to, to that uh, six-pack commitment, which I think is great. Can we get a little closer on that answer? Uh, I think uh, a little bit. I mean, it, you're out talking to the public quite a bit, and I'm sure you're at festivals now and again, and invariably when you get people who know a little bit less about uh, beer, the question that you'll get is, give me your strongest, or give me your lightest, or give me your... Uh, and it always, those sentences always seem to start off with give me, um, as, as it were. But it, it's very sort of generic, and it's somebody looking for one experience. So they're looking to have as many as they can without going under the table, or they're looking to have uh, as few as they can with getting under the table, um, as it were. What are some of the questions for people who are still kind of new to beer, um, or even just beer consumers? Like, what are some of the questions that you as a brewer wish you got more often? Uh, it's pretty easy to get the question about what's your lightest or what, yeah. what's like, I think having an educated staff who can bounce back and say, what do you prefer? What do you generally like to drink? Well, open your horizons a little bit. If all you've ever had is XYZ lighter, light or lighter beer, try this other um, British style pale. Don't be intimidated by the amber color. I once uh, persuaded a server in our very early years at the tap room to try a porter. She said, I don't want a stout. We had a porter on tap. I said, close your eyes and taste this beer. We taste so much with our eyes. The Japanese culture is all about consuming with your eye, consuming food with your eyes. And it's really true. You could be intimidated by a porter, which is black in color, but it's really, for the most part, medium bodied, medium flavored, not aggressively hopped. It's a wonderful drinking dark beer. The lager equivalent would be Schwartz beer. So the questions I'd probably love to hear from people are, what do you have in this range of wheat beers, or do you have Pilsners? Asking slightly more educated questions. But that takes a lot of work, and sometimes people are just looking for a beer. Sure. So sorry, I hope I didn't skirt the question too much. No, not at all. I mean, I just you're on the front lines, uh, I think, more than most, so that's why I'm you know, this is just a good opportunity to, to talk to folks about what, what they're looking for. Here's a little example. Uh, at the Science on Tap Beer Festival at the St. Louis Science Center last Saturday, I was talking, we had a big, huge demonstration set up with our pilot brewing system and ingredients, and we had four beers on tap, and they had gone for the Mexican chocolate stout and loved it, and I asked them if they'd tried the other beers. They'd never tried the double bean blonde ale. I think they had probably tried our pale ale, Double um, bean, that's a, that's a coffee blonde? Coffee chocolate blonde ale. One of yeah. our sales reps calls it a Jedi mind trick. It's a really <laughs> funny kind of way to describe. But this beer is blonde in color, and it smells like coffee and tastes like chocolate. And uh, the white lager was the fourth beer. So I actually brought them behind the serving table and guided them through the process. They fell in love with the white lager and the double bean blonde. They said, 
this is a really eye-opening experience to taste these beers, which is a great reason to do beer festivals and tastings so people can experience new beers. You may go for your favorite style or something. It's easy to get palate fatigue from the double imperial, triple, whatever, uh, big, extra, hoppy, spicy beers. Uh, but it's, uh, it's worth going around and opening one's horizons to so many different beer styles. You know, one thing that, um, uh, that I was just sort of thinking about, and you mentioned being at the Science Museum, is how much does science play a role or should play a role in brewing, and have we gotten away from that? I, I think it would be easy to say that a brewery can do a very good job with brewers who are not too experienced and are effectively lucky at getting, um, getting quality beer to flow through their taps. Just call it a brew pub or one package or something. The day will come when they need to do a lot more investigation into the things you can't see. So we know as home brewers, we can make a batch of beer. We don't have a full lab set up at home. And it's, it's a good thing to make a good tasting beer. What about the uh, batch that doesn't quite work? When that happens on a commercial scale, you better have a team or a talented individual who knows what to do to, um, to investigate where that came from. And that, uh, at Schlafly, starts with studying all the raw materials that come, that come in because beer is, people need to remember, and, and brewers need to remember, beer is an agricultural product. You have four different variables in there that can all change. Um, I love the tap water in St. Louis. I love the tap water in New York. But sometimes that changes, and you need to make adjustments in your brewing process. It happens with the uh, raw material that, uh, that comes in, and uh, sometimes you have to tweak a recipe. If you don't know how to do that, it'll catch up to you. And it'll catch up to you by people stopping uh, buying your beer anymore. How, so, quick, how quickly do you think something like that can catch up to you? Because, I mean, there's so many small small breweries, and I'll, and I'll talk to them, and I'll say, like, well, you know, what happened with this batch? And it's like, oh, well, you know, we just got, you know, bad batch of hops, but we had to go ahead with it anyway. And I cringe when I hear that, and it's like, well, maybe do something else instead, just because I really love this beer how it was, and now I don't. Now I kind of think, think less. I mean, how, how quickly do you see that catching up with? By the way, your last editorial was great. This oh. is the subject. Yes. Uh, in, the, in the last issue. And it speaks to the point of, you open a place, whether you've been open for 25 years or, or 25 hours, and you have a, an array of beers on tap, you should not put the beer on there that doesn't taste right. And by not tasting right, I mean really wrong. Not just a tiny bit off. It's like, well, the profiles, it's... And there's it's forgiveness good. that can... That, Correct. Yes, yeah. And we know what that sliding scale permissible is. Permissible forgiveness. When it's be yeah. permissible forgiveness. When you move beyond that sliding scale... You have to make the decision to dump it. Does any brewer want to dump beer? No, never. Uh, Dave Miller said early on, uh, the original brewmaster at Schlafly, there are two types of breweries, those that have an infection and those that haven't gotten one yet. Eventually, <laughs> your time will come. Having a t Okay, if you've never gotten one, great. Keep up the good work and, and, uh, and be careful because the day may come. It's not, it's not a necessary uh, that that happens, but... You have 12, I went to the uh, opening of a brewery in St. Louis years ago to be unnamed. One, and I told them outright, I really like these half a dozen beers, and these are okay. They're not maybe not my favorite style, but why do you keep this one on tap? Why is this one still being served? You should take that off. And I wasn't afraid to, uh, to tell them that. 
uh, criticism of things doesn't mean I don't like that style. It means uh, having the ability to say, great job on all these. Maybe not my favorite style, but they, they rock. But this one, I love the style. I don't like the style. It doesn't matter. That's wrong. As a beer judge judging that style, I'd have kicked it out of the cup. You know, something like that. Sure. Don't tap that beer. Don't but you also it. have to know what it is that is off about it or infected about it. And you have to be able to point to it the right way. I mean, I'm sure that uh, you've read online reviews of some of your beers where um, somebody who only drinks bourbon barrel aged imperial stouts is going to try your Kolsch and they're going to say, oh, I'm going to give this a half star because I don't like Kolsch. And that that that's just like a, you know kick down below that's not a yeah and it's not fair it's, either. it's unnecessary so, fortunately we don't see too much of that very often we will see reviews you have all the midwest polite yeah well and i mean a little <laughs> bit more i mean i love coming here and and uh, getting the for, the uh, midwest politeness versus the forthrightness of new york i mean i'm i can be pretty deliberate too sure uh, there's a, i think there's a bluntness though uh, that could come in certain areas as opposed to sure yeah. and i think i have to be careful in my job my uh, my current title says Ambassador Brewer. Uh, tact and diplomacy go with that title. And I think I've always been that way. I try to remember the words of uh, a friend long ago who said, kill him with kindness. Uh, my, my wife's mother's tombstone says, kindness is the greatest force in the world. So do you have to berate? Do you have to tear somebody down? Tearing somebody or something down to build yourself up is not going to win in the long run, No. You don't have to be not don't don't give going, glowing compliments about a beer if it sucks. Yeah. And it, it, be truthful about it. If you don't love sours, don't drink them. Don't taste them. If you are open to all sorts of beers and can be critically helpful to a brewer, maybe they missed. Maybe somebody on their staff doesn't taste diacetyl that well, and you're super sensitive to it. You can say, "I get this." The general public might not. And diacetyl is one of those funny ones. I like butterscotch candy. I think they're. Yeah. Let's not go down that rabbit hole now. No, no, no. I was just saying, I'm, I'm one of the people who cannot pick up diacetyl. Uh, I know there's people who, if there's a whisper of it, uh, they'll send it back. Uh, I basically need to have a glass of it uh, uh, to understand that go it's the, in the beer. Go to the movie theater. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, but, but it's very rare. So when it shows up in a beer for me, uh, I know that it is absolutely uh, swimming in it. Why um, would somebody ever give you that glass? Just what we're talking about Well, that's now. the thing. Right. And I, I wish I could raise one eyebrow like some people do. Yeah, like there it is. nicely done. Yeah, well, this is radio, so it's 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 lost on Did everybody. Did everyone see but that? Yes, exactly. Right. So I will raise two eyebrows when I see examples of that because I wonder, what are you doing? Why does that? Do you only have one other beer on tap? Well, guess what? Then you only have one other beer on tap. Buy an outside beer, clean up that problem, fix it. Is it expensive? Heck yeah. Guess what's more expensive? Serving it and ruining a reputation. So Very nobody likes so. the cost of dumping a beer. It's too expensive not to do that. So there's a beer in front of us right now. Uh, we've talked about a lot of your classic styles, uh, but one of the the things that I've really enjoyed coming out of the brewery in the last few years, and I'm gonna—is it Ibex or Ibex? Ibex. Ibex. Okay. Uh, there's been a few specialty small batch beers that you guys have put out uh, in the last few years uh, that really have 
been in the modern tradition uh, or in this esoteric sort of uh, crazy artistic way as opposed to you know the, the very solid reliable citizens that that the brewery uh, has built a reputation on um, and this one here is a coffee stout uh, I'll let you do the honors um, not just a coffee stout oh, I'm sorry no that's what it says on there but it is actually our imperial, imperial. stout with the cold toddy extraction from okay. Caldi's Coffee in St. Louis added to it so we've had coffee stout for it could be over 20 years now okay and make sure we have enough glassware here for everybody so we add uh, we use a different uh, style of coffee different um, type to add to the imperial stout aged in these and there's a whole lot to talk about with these beers but you saw the carrier in the package of the uh, ibex series yes. that this comes in before yeah big story behind that emulating the uh architecture of the taproom brewery with the barrel vaulted ceilings and the uh, screen above the beer garden and some of the roof lines as well as oh i just realized i made a little mistake um yeah good i'm turning my water glass into a beer glass wow almost seems biblical <laughs> the, how uh, very new testament of you so what i what i can't do now is show you that the embossed ibex which yes. is a swiss mountain goat with the curved horns it's been the iconic emblem of the Schlafly Taproom uh, since we opened. Uh, there are two on the sides of the bottle. Now I can't show you the one on the bottom unless we hold the bottle way up in the air. So All right. there's That's a little guy, a little hidden thing. Beautiful packaging. The whole team that worked on this came up with a pretty fantastic uh, package here. 11.2 ounce bottle, four pack. Uh, there is a series of six beers throughout the year. It's all on the information we brought for you about um, two coffee stouts, the right. previous barrel-aged coffee stout. Uh, the coffee version, we have a local oak coming up, a gooseberry goes... Uh, local oak? Local oak. Belgian table beer okay. aged in our new fooders made from Missouri oak. Really? By the only fooder maker in the... I wasn't planning to give is a shameless food, is that, plug. That's Foodercraft? Foodercrafters yeah. made less than an hour from the taproom really? downtown. I didn't realize that they were... That they were yeah, they've... We've had Brandon Jones from Yazoo on the show, and uh, he's used them before. And uh, your tanks seen are going them. Yeah. all over the country. Yeah, no, that's uh, it, it's it's a nice thing. That adds a nice, uh, nice local uh, local flavor to it. You know, one thing that I wanted to ask you just about coffee, though, is that you said the cold toddy method. Um, there's a lot of ways people usually think of of coffee as as a hot beverage. Uh, cold brew is obviously coming into to fashion. Iced coffee is around, but that's typically hot coffee with just ice added to it. Um, why use the cold toddy method when making a coffee beer? Normally I don't speak in these terms, but I'm going to throw a challenge out there and say it's the only method to use. And I say that based not only on our experience of using cold toddy, but hearing from other brewers and also knowing that people who like coffee but have certain uh, acidic challenges in consuming acidic foods, they like coffee, but they can't drink hot brewed coffee, which is hot extraction or hot toddy, if you will. Right. So taking coffee grounds, aging them, sorry, immersing them for uh, more than 24 but fewer than 48 hours on the coffee grounds, and then discarding the grounds and taking the clear liquid and adding it pretty much to the finished beer at package. I just gave away a big secret, because guess what, everybody? There are no secrets in the brewing industry. <laughs> people share. It's a great community. And we've told people for years how we do this. I have not, by experience, added uh, coffee in any form to the mash tun or to the kettle or to fermentation. We add it later. 
and as a in the bright tank or in the in the bright tank adjust carbonation package. Okay. Yeah, it's as, and are you just putting in? Uh, is it ground coffee that you're just putting in muslin bags, or how are you? Yes, uh, at the they use larger equipment at the bottle works, but for a lot of breweries out there that are in the uh, seven, fifteen, twenty barrel size, get a five gallon bucket, get a paint strainer bag with an elastic band, put it in that clean bucket, dump in a five pound bag of coffee, fill it with clean cold water, throw it in the cooler, agitate the bucket a couple of times for the next 36 hours basically. We found that going over 48 pulls a little too much unpleasantness and under 24 might not give you enough contact time because the grounds tend to rise to the surface and as a long-term coffee drinker, I got to tell you that when you dump that ground coffee in with the cold water, it is, I don't need to drink coffee anymore if I could just smell that. It is the, (laughs) I think the uh, chemical reactions in my brain are just exploding when they smell that. It almost is better than a hot cup of coffee in the morning. But I have an espresso maker at home, so I love making those cups too. So cold toddy extraction, added in the uh, proper uh, dilution, proper addition to the beer. And we had not done it with the Imperial Stout yet. And it's kind of subtle. It's there. It is very subtle. But it's not as noticeable, shall we say, as in the uh, year-round, not the year-round, the seasonal coffee stout and our and our double bean blonde coffee sure. chocolate beer. Yeah, I, the thing that I actually really like about this uh, is that it, 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 it's reminding me of Neapolitan ice cream. Uh, there's a chocolate, there's a vanilla thing, and there's this sort of fruitiness that comes through as well. Uh, and it has this sort of soft creaminess uh, on the mouthfeel as well. But Neapolitan ice cream is the first place that I went in my mind with this. I am picturing the uh, stratification layers of that ice cream, and I have to say, you are the master of words. Well. That, ser- <laughs> seriously. I, and that's why I invited you, you here, to just make me feel good about myself. Oh, so thank you. That's, it was a pleasure. This I'll do is it. cheaper than therapy. <laughs> I'll come out here every month to do it. Visit me in St. Louis, and we'll do it again. No, really, the... Uh, I think a lot of people, this goes back to some of our earlier points of educating the public on beers, which is why we, in our descriptive copy on all the beers, try to pull out the salient characteristics that will uh, tell people what the beer is all about. And you don't want to prejudge them, preload information. Um, you could set any glass of beer in front of me and lots of brewers, and we might not get all the characteristics, but when you're told to look for not just the chocolate element, but the vanilla, which you get from barrel aging in the bourbon barrels, and then the slight fruitiness. There's your stru- isn't it strawberry in the Neapolitan? Yeah, the I would third. think so. Yeah, but 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 strawberry Neapolitan doesn't taste like strawberry. It tastes Correct. sort of like generic, sort of sweet red berry, like candy berry kind of thing. Got it. Yeah, yeah. That, that works. And unfortunately, in here, you're mixing them all up. It's as if you drag that spoon across, across all, three. all three. Yeah. You know you want to taste one, then taste the other, then taste the other, but you've got to mix them up. Right. That's the whole Her OCD experience. listeners are just freaking out, thinking about running a spoon across all three layers at the same time. Isn't it's, that how uh, you're supposed to do it? <laughs> do whatever way you want, people. It's okay. So the, the official name for Shaffley is the St. Louis Brewery. We were started in, and actually, at this point, we would be a nearly 28-year-old company mm-hmm. because Tom and Dan incorporated... The St. Louis Brewery, Inc., and Saint has always been spelled out, S-A-I-N-T. Uh-huh. That's, important. that's, that's an important designation for trademarks. I, I think it's for, I'll leave that to the lawyers okay. to take out, but yeah, the city abbreviates it. We've always spelled it out. And well, I'm just in, thinking that there's a certain large brewery in town that, uh, on their labels, abbreviates Saint. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
I, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember the name of that. Right. right. Um, the, uh, it's a Belgian company. Something yeah. like that. Right. We are the largest locally owned brewery in the state of Missouri, <laughs> for what it's worth. We're not the largest brewery, but we're the third largest brewery. In the, if I have not heard New Barrelage that surprises me, we're the third largest and the largest locally owned in the state. But the St. Louis Brewery, Inc. was incorporated in 89. We opened in December of 91. And within a few years, the public, when we started releasing the beer in draft in 93, the public wanted to know more about, like, who's the St. Louis Brewery. That's when we adopted the term Schlafly uh, to name the beer itself. The restaurants, the tap room and bottle works, the beer is Schlafly. Uh, Saint is spelled out. We're now an LLC. It's all sorts of confusing names, but... You can, we can figure it out. I mentioned the larger brewery, so it's Anheuser-Busch in case people uh, uh, aren't, aren't aware. InBev. Uh, InBev uh, these days. But Anheuser-Busch, when they sold to InBev and when they no longer became an American company, there's so many stories, including some in, in, in All About Beer, um, that, that really got to the sort of psyche of what this meant for not only the country, but specifically St. Louis, where this had been an American company for a long time. Did you guys see the change? People come to you afterwards. Were, were people were, were, were people so patriotic? We're, see, we're seeing right now even a backlash against Anheuser uh, these days with their Super Bowl commercial this year uh, that uh, told uh, the story, and I'm doing air quotes, of, of, of their founder. And there's people saying, you know, I don't need your, your pro-immigrant rhetoric or people are boycotting Budweiser because they feel like they're, they're getting political in their, in their messages. Um, but... Did you see a change? Was there um, a, a difference in psyche in the, in the city, and, and did that help you guys? Did that uh, help further the story? How, how, did, how did that work out for you guys at the time? It had a, a distinct change on the landscape in the city of St. Louis, and I have to say that the phone number at the uh, brewery is one of my favorites. It's the number, not the price, 241-BEER, <laughs> 2337. The phone, and I bring that up because the phone did not stop ringing. It, it rang off the hook in 2008 when this happened. A lot of people jumped ship of, uh, from AB. Um, I will say on the, on the flip side, in St. Louis, if you polled every single person in the broader geographic, all the Cardinals fans, and they travel great distances, and if you said the brewery to people in St. Louis, other than the employees and neighbors of individual breweries in their neighborhoods and there are now I believe 62 breweries within an hour and a half drive of downtown St. Louis but if you said where's the brewery everyone's talking about AB they've known that for years Budweiser Clydesdales AB Bush Stadium it has left an indelible fabric uh, imprint on the fabric of the city the change in 2008 when InBev bought AB uh, definitely brought us a lot of customers it also was the beginning of the explosion, if you will, of more breweries open. There were other breweries open. It took three and a half years to open a brewery uh, in St. Louis after we opened. There was one in Illinois that opened and closed twice under different names, but the two breweries that opened in 95 are still open, and a whole lot more have opened since then, but particularly since 2008. In the year 2010, four breweries opened, and that really began the tide of more and more breweries open. So opening. So we saw a huge radical change. And I don't think there was anybody in St. Louis who wasn't in some way or another affected directly or closely indirectly by a family member, a friend, or knowing somebody uh, who had been let go. There were a lot of people let go by the brewery. 
I don't quote all the statistics because right. they'd probably be wrong. I heard a term yesterday by our brand manager, Will Rogers, who referred to St. Louis as uh, one of the better sleeper beer brewery towns in the country. As a sleeper town, meaning the coasts have gotten all the attention, as they rightly do. I think there was a time when we had more breweries in St. Louis uh, early on in our career than Chicago did. But Chicago has 100 and I can't count. 120? Yeah, it's, 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 a, up, it's, it's up a there these days. It's a huge number. And I didn't mean to say that word that way. Sorry. Huge. Can, I, can you edit that, Kyle? <laughs> the, uh, it's a vast number of breweries in Chicago, and we're starting to catch up with 62 in our area. So the effect of the, uh, of the AB buyout was pretty significant. And that, that's a topic which you've written about. It's, it could go on and on. Is there a benefit, though, to being a sleeper town? I mean, I, I, I travel around and people will go, you know, they'll cite Asheville or they'll cite, uh, you know, some of, some of the larger towns that are out there, some of the hot towns that are out there, Portland, Oregon, Portland, Maine. Um, uh, and I know I'm talking coastal cities, essentially. But is there a benefit of sort of flying under the radar? Do you think it gives your new breweries that are opening up out there a little bit more time to get their sea legs? Besides the cost of living? Sure. Which, as we know in the Midwest, is often better. It's yes. a great place. I, I actually moved from St. Louis in 94 to help open a brewery in Portland. And I moved back because I left something behind. Uh-huh. Uh, not just Holding a up a, your, brewery, your, your ring finger. Pointing, yes. pointing to my wedding ring. The, uh, the beer community is strong. And I think it does give breweries a chance to establish themselves in a market that isn't, um, and I'll use air quotes, hot. So... It, Nothing against it. remarkable places to go drink. Multiple cities around the country that are that have a fabulous beer culture. Perhaps the uh, Midwest is a little slower to adopt it, but it's really comforting to see breweries open and they're all doing different things, which is fabulous. Uh, they'll learn that the quality has to be paramount. That uh, using the assets of a little plug for Master Brewers Association, District St. Louis, the MBAA, great yeah. MBAA. Uh, we gave a great little plug to it at an industry event um, on Monday night at the St. Louis Brewers Guild. We have a Brewers Guild, which is the marketing group, and then we have MBAA, which is a fabulous uh, resource for these brewers. They really should join, even if they just read the technical quarterly and checked out the online support. So and the, and you can do that in multiple cities, but we've got the largest district there in St. Louis. Tap into those assets, guys. It's unbelievable. Hire those guys who uh, used to work in another large brewery in St. Louis, many of whom have started breweries. Sure, yeah. Uh, well, we had uh, Florian, uh, oh, Florian and Dave yeah. at Urban Chestnut. Yeah, at Urban Chestnut. And, and uh, others, uh, Jim Gorsica with O'Fallon. Uh, we've got a couple of guys at uh, our brewery. So. As we start to, to wind down here. Um, That's so sad. It is so sad. Uh, but we'll have you back again soon. Thank uh, you. What is one beer that you would happily drink for the rest of your life uh, if no other beer was available? Particular brand or style? Start uh, with the style? You could start with the style and then go down to the brand. I think I began saying this about when we're talking about classic beers, yeah. and I would be a happy little clam in London drinking. And there, it's Fuller's is probably one of the better known examples. Yeah. Uh, or in, if I were in somewhere in Central Europe and had a nice, crisp, clean, yellow, call it a yellow, blonde, whatever right. term you want. Yellow is not disparaging. There's a lot of yellow out there in the world. Uh, yeah. um, daffodils, right? So Taxi cabs, yes. And, <laughs> yes. 
I thought I, we're sitting at the window here, Blind Tiger. I thought you were just looking at a, like, just seeing a lot of yellow go by from the taxi cabs. But yeah, I, I think I'm gonna, uh, I think I'm gonna have a pilsner with lunch. Uh huh. And if I could have, I'd be very happy with Schlafly Pale Ale. It is an easy beer to drink. It's completely approachable. English ingredients. Just it's. And again, I come back to that rugby part, not because of the quantity of beer that rugby uh, players drink, or, or at least so I've heard. The appreciation for beer yeah. as beer, um, I don't think I could commit to, and I don't mean to put everything in another extreme category, but if it's high ABV or high IBU or comes out of a barrel, it's probably not going to be a multi-beer night for me with that. So not that every night has to be a multi-beer night. It should be for all of our customers, please, people. It's always good to support your local brewery. Um, well, there's a fun tangent, though, that just came off of that. Uh, so you get, you get the bonus round now. Of You're talking about a, like a European Pilsner that, that, uh, that you could have, uh, that you'd enjoy drinking. Is there as great a difference between the American Pilsners, the American lagers, the, you know, the yellow beers, uh, as you were saying, the, you know, from the big ones in town as, as the European ones? I mean, when it comes to, to quality, at least? Oh, I think the big ones have it nailed. Right. I've always said it, it, it uh, rankles me when people, and I'll leave, I won't describe categories of yeah. people, who use disparaging comments to talk about certain large breweries or all large breweries and and the adjectives they use are very disrespectful when in fact I've gone on record many times this is not the first time to say that some of the big breweries the bigger you are the more resources and money sometimes you have to put towards keeping that beer quality I would challenge a whole lot of and things have gotten better but in the early years of craft beer uh, in our years in St. Louis a a whole lot of craft or small breweries could not dream of making beer at 25 to 50 breweries around the world with the resources they have and having it. If you and I traveled the world and tried those beers, we'd be highly disappointed at the results that a small brewery that didn't have the human and financial resources to put into maintaining the quality of that beer. And the lighter the beer gets, the harder it is to do that. It's pretty easy to hide some flaws in bigger, darker other beers. Not that they have them, but they, they're more forgiving. Flaws are not very forgiving in a lighter beer, but we would probably agree that some of these lighter beer styles taste pretty close to exactly the same around the world. Do we choose to drink that? Probably not on a regular basis. And I'm not trying to defend big beer, but in terms of a, uh, a quality beer, sorry, uh, people who use disparaging comments, it's not a nice thing to say when they actually make a quality beer. You might not like it because it's light and light and lighter. Or light, lighter, and lightest. Sorry, I forgot my comparatives and superlatives. This from uh, a former English teacher. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exacto mundo, this John. Is, this, is, uh, this is after a couple of beers. So, so yeah, yeah I, I love beer, and I'll drink many different styles. Is it a Pilsner? Is it a Kolsch? Is it a Pale Ale? Is it, I don't know, what's, I'm probably not a stout. Well... If I were in Ireland, you know, I might adopt a certain beer style for the rest sure. of my life. The deserted island beer, as it were. So, malty, full of flavor, just enough of what a lot of beer has to make the evening fun. I described the photographs after one, two, or three beers in the evening. But yeah. Let's keep it, you know, people, you don't have to drink that much beer every night. Maybe more, not always. 
So this is not alcohol touting, go buy our beer. I mean, it is, but with, with moderation. So, I don't know, can I bounce the question back to you? No. The guy who's in charge... <laughs> The guy who's in charge gets to make up all the rules, right? Uh, no, I'd probably go with something similar to a pale ale. Um, you know, Sierra Pale comes to mind in that it has all of the four main ingredients of beer uh, where the flavors play really well with each other. So something like that where, depending on what you're eating, depending on uh, you know the time of day or where you are, you're finding something new in that beer. So if, there, if I was stuck with one forever, I'd want it to have uh, something that I enjoyed drinking, but that also had uh, some character that could change as opposed to a bourbon barrel aged stout that would just be a blunt hammer uh, every single time. So something that uh, that has a lot of skill, has a lot of care, has a lot of has a lot of craft. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Those are the styles. Obviously, my answer is going to be a Schlafly beer, pale ale, Coles. <laughs> Clearly, uh, yeah. we did peer, uh, Pilsner years ago, but uh, and I think again that's that pyramid of beer. What is most of the beer sold in the world? It's basically lager of a golden And that's the bottom color. of the pyramid. That's Sorry, yeah, the bottom of the pyramid. The top is, we know what they are, the sours, the extremes, the, the doubles, imperials, and all that stuff it's just in terms of volume sold. Now, that changes. Those numbers do change. It's a sliding scale. But for the most part, uh, the beer-buying public hang out at a grocery store, a big box store, somewhere where people are buying beer. How much beer leaves that store every day? And then the middle of the pyramid would obviously be just the classic styles and the you know the everyday solid citizens of the world yes. uh, that have a little bit more flavor to them or a little bit more character to them or a little bit more je ne sais quoi, as it were. Uh, and that for, is exactly yeah. where you and I apparently find ourselves for the deserted island, beer for the rest of your life. Absolutely. You're buying me beer for the rest of my life? I <laughs> love this interview. <laughs> I got a good laugh out of Kyle on that one. Thank you. And I think we'll leave it there. Stephen Hill, thanks so much for, for joining us. This was a lot of fun. John, we're going to negotiate a little handshake through the... Through the the miasma, wire cables. Miasma? And What's miasma? Through the myriad cables and glasses and electronics here. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. That's Stephen Hill of Shaffley Brewing, the St. Louis brewery. Learn more about their beers at shaffley.com. Next time on this podcast, it's Matt Van Wyke of Ailsong Brewing and Blending in Oregon. You've been listening to After Two Beers, the interview podcast from All About Beer magazine. Learn all you need to know about being a better beer drinker at allaboutbeer.com. And subscribe to the magazine. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can also reach out to me via Twitter at John underscore Hall. That's H-O-L-L. The interview for this episode was recorded on location at New York City's Blind Tiger Ale House on Bleecker Street and edited by Kyle McCauley. The show is produced by Daniel Hardis. I'm John Hall, and that's it for this edition of After Two Beers. Thanks so much for listening. Cheers. After Two Beers is brought to you by Guinness, brewers of the world's most famous pub beers for over 200 years, and by All About Beer magazine. Explore the culture of beer through award-winning news, reviews, education, and insights. Print and digital subscriptions are available by visiting allaboutbeer.com. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest beer news and to connect with fellow enthusiasts.